I want to take you to the book of Job, the first chapter. Job chapter 1, and I am going to read verse number 13. Begin there. There was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell them. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. Yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, My sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell Upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And verse 22 said, In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, very quickly. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speaketh as a as one of the foolish women speaketh, what shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And again, the scripture says, in all this did not Job sin with his lips. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, when you're down to nothing. Amen. When you're down to nothing. And everybody said amen again. God bless you. You may be seated. There once lived a great violinist in Italy who as a young child began to develop an unusual knack for playing his name was Pagnani. <clears throat> he would be sent to some of the greatest teachers in that country as a child to be taught 
And it seemed that every time he would come to one, they would find that he was too advanced and he was too talented even for them. And so they would send him to their teacher and to their teacher. And so finally, after he had exhausted those in Italy who were known as the great violinists, there were none others. He just honed his own skills. And Pagnani became world-renowned for his ability to play the violin. His techniques are known even today in that field of musical talent. But there was an occasion when something happened out of the ordinary, something happened that even he could not prepare for. He had come to France, to Paris in particular, to play one of his great concertos and when it was time for him to come in to the applause of all the leading ladies and men of France he came out on the stage and brought his valued instrument sat down and in his own dramatic style began to prepare and the building hushed to a silence and he began tightening the strings and tuning his violin. But as he started to tighten the string, the first one broke. And so there was a gasp in the congregation of people and they looked to see what he would do. And he just continued tuning the next string. And lo and behold, the second string broke. And then there was a deeper gasp, and there was a wondering of whether or not this show was going to go on, if they were going to get their money's worth. And so in his own style, he seemed unflustered. He just went to the third string, and as he began to tighten it, lo and behold, it broke as well. Now he's down to one string, and they wonder as he sits there in silence, what's he going to do now? To their amazement, he took his bow, and according to history, he played one of the most beautiful orations that they had ever heard with one string. I said all that to say this. Very seldom do we get to live life in ideal circumstances. Very seldom do we get the privilege of living life out the way we dreamed it as a child or the way we imagined that all this is supposed to work out. I dare say that no alcoholic or drug addict or broken man or woman really ever envisioned themselves ever becoming that. And yet life happens. It happens to all of us. Nothing that we do intentional, it's just part of the strain and stress that comes in living. While we're trying to make things work and we're trying to make it work out, we find things break and they break at the most inopportune time. And now you're faced with the situation of what are you going to do? You're going to quit and give up, throw in the towel, are you going to become one of the many whiners in the world? Are you going to join that great chorus of complainers that are always finding something wrong with life? 
Or could it be as Job who came down to virtually nothing in his life? He took what he had and he moved on. And he did the best with what was left. There are some of you sitting here today that have had to deal with some brokenness in your life that you didn't plan on. You didn't plan on being where you are right now. You didn't plan on necessarily having to deal with some of the problems that you're having to deal with at this moment. Health is broken. Finances are broken. Some of our homes are broken. Marriages that are broken, splintered. That wasn't how we imagined it when we stood at the altar and said, I do. We didn't imagine how that life and all of its pressures and problems can put us where we are, but the reality is we're there. And I don't really have a pretty sermon for you today. I just have a message from God that sometimes in life you have to quit complaining and just play with what you've got left. Sometimes in life you just have to accept That it's not fair and it's not equitable and all things do not come equal to every person. But that doesn't mean that your life is ruined or that you have nothing to hope for or live for. It really all determines in your own heart what you decide to do in moments like that. You can give up and go home. You can give up and quit. Or you can make up your mind, it may not be perfect, and it may not be ideal, and it may not be what I want it to be, but I'm going to learn to play the symphony of life with what I have. Not what I wish I had, not what I hoped I could have, but I'm going to do the best I can with what I had left. Amen. My dad was a great man. Some of you knew him. He was not a preacher. He was just a layman. But he was a great man. He was an educated man in the sense that he taught himself. I think he went to the ninth grade, high school maybe, I don't know, seventh grade. He didn't go, eleventh, I don't know. He didn't finish school, I know that. Lived in the depression. But as a child, my dad... Uh, was playing one day, and his mother was making lye soap. And from what I remember about the story, my brother can correct me, but she had put some in a glass jar beside her. And evidently, she was used to having a drink with her when she was working. And playing as a child, he ran by and picked that up to take a drink. And when she realized what he was doing, she slapped it out of his hand And in the process of slapping it, some of it splashed into my dad's eye. And it blinded him. Just a child. Now he has the disadvantage of having to grow up without an eye. He did what a lot of people do. He got a false eye and went through all of that. And then when I came along, he just forgot about all that, uh, what do you call that, self-image stuff. But I always wondered... Dad, how do, you, how do you do that? My dad uh, lived through all that depression business and come out of it. He was not a bitter man. I don't know if I've ever seen my dad 
bitter or angry about stuff. He was just a man who learned how to make it with what you had left. And so he goes into a business for himself. He becomes a mechanic. He becomes not just a mechanic, but a front-end mechanic. Now, some of you don't, need, you, you don't care about that, but the fact is if your vehicle wasn't in alignment right now, you wouldn't be able to keep it on the highway. And so my dad's business was to keep vehicles aligned, and he was good. As a matter of fact, he was the very best in all of North Texas. He was so good with one eye, with one eye, that all of the race car drivers in the Wichita Falls area and the surrounding counties would bring their vehicles to him because he knew how to tow it in or tow it out so that it would run that track the way they wanted it to run. And he did it all with one eye. And I asked him one day, I said, Dad, do you ever, do you ever get aggravated by that? And he said, why, son? I see things twice as good as you do. I can see better out of one eye than you can out of both of your eyes. My point is simply that sometimes things do happen in life. Now, I know there's a lot of stuff that happens that we do to ourselves. But even when we do it to ourselves, somewhere you've got to step back and say, you know what? I don't have a full deck anymore. I, I don't have everything that I want. I don't have everything that I need. But instead of staying on the sideline and disengaging from life or becoming worse, bitter and angry and resentful and being hateful and mean and vindictive, I'm going to do the best I can to make it with what I've got left. It may not be as good as anybody else. It may not be as beautiful as anybody else. But it's going to be the best that I can do with what I have left. I've been thinking this week about the, pa the parable of the talents. You know, that's one unbelievable story. It, it's, it's unbelievable because of some of the things that Jesus said in it. They, they, they don't make sense to me. But Jesus said at the end of that parable when he had given one ten and one five and one one, and he said, I'm going away on a trip, and when I come back, I want to see what's been done. And so he leaves, and the man who has five, he invests, and the man who has ten, he invests, or, or something, five, two, what was it, two, five, and is it one. Was that right? I'm about to get my story right. I don't have my notes, folks. I don't know if you know that yet, but some of you are probably obvious he's not on his notes right now. Anyway, two of them took what they had. That's not fair. Who, who chooses who gets the most? Who chooses who gets five and who gets two? Who gets one? I don't. I just have to do what I can with what I've got. And so somebody made an executive decision. I'm going to give this man five, I'm going to give this one two, and I'm going to give this woman one. Now, let's see what you can do with what you've got. And you know what happened? What happens in a lot of lives? The guy with one, he starts looking around and comparing himself with everybody else and saying, you know what, this isn't fair. This isn't right. 
I mean, I pray as much as they pray. I'm as faithful as they are. I can't chew gum and tie my shoes at the same time. I can't chew gum and walk at the same time. Here they are. They're gifted. They can sing. They have a great personality. They don't ever seem to have any problems. They don't ever have financial problems. They're always paying their bills. They drive a new vehicle. They dress in new clothes. Their marriage seems perfect. What's the deal, God? I learned a long time ago, you can't argue with God about how he works life out. And there's something about God's sovereignty that is very hard for me to understand sometimes. But whatever God chooses, God knows what he's doing. And you know what? This is the point that the parable makes. It's not what God gives you that matters. It's what you do with what gives you that matters. Because the man who had one talent could have got the same blessing as the man who had five talent if he had just simply used it. If he had simply invested it. If he had simply done something with it. You see, with God, more is not better, but doing something with what you've got is important to God. And so many times in life, we sit around and we think, well, man, if I had their talent, I wouldn't be wasting it. But we're wasting what we do have. We couldn't get you to teach a Sunday school class if we put an atomic bomb under your pew. We couldn't get a Bible study in your hand. But you said, oh, if I could sing like that person, I would be up there every service singing. No, you can't sing, but you could teach a Bible study. Or you could just go out and knock a door and witness to somebody. Or you could be a peacemaker in your family. But instead of being what you can be, you're... You're griping and complaining about what you don't have. Job lost it all. Not really. He didn't lose it all. He lost a lot. But my Bible says there was at least one servant out of every catastrophe that came home. Now that's not a lot. And then he had to had to deal with his wife. You know, wives are sometimes interesting to deal with. Husbands are too. I better be careful. This is Valentine's week. And we're coming up on our 40th anniversary, so I don't want to mess that up. Let me redirect. I may have should have had my notes this morning. It might have been a little better if I had What was I saying? Somebody help me out. Yeah. Job had a wife. That's what I was saying. Job had a wife. Good thing, a wife. And I'm not saying that, I please don't, I'm not, I don't want to offend the feminine gender. I think men have just the same capacity. But Job's wife did what a lot of people do. They curse God. Now you may not use four-letter words, but you use other words. And the one thing that stayed steady about Job is the Bible says that in all this, say in all this, I want you to say that about yourself. In all 
this. I don't want to sin with my mouth or my words or my accusations. I don't want to mess up now. Listen, folks, if I've only got one string left, I'm going to try to do the best I can with what I've got. Now, you know what? I know, you know, this church is handicapped by me, but that's all right. I have learned a long time ago to play with just one string. Because God's not interested in how pretty it is just that you do what you can do. And there's a lot of folks that say, well, I won't do it if I can't do the best. And they don't ever do anything. And so the kingdom of God goes lacking because they're not willing to do what they can with what they've got. But when life gets down to nothing, there really is something left. And that's you and God. And if that's all you've got left, you and God can get through it. You and God can get past it. I I love Brother Steve, and I don't want to make a point out of him, but Brother Steve went through a rough time in his life years ago and got out of church. And in that period of time, he had a severe accident and lost one of his limbs. But you know what? I have never to this day ever seen that limit what that man is willing to try. And some of us have both hands and we can't get one of them up. We have both hands, and we, we can't even reach out to somebody and shake their hand and say, man, I'm so glad to see you in church today. We're so consumed with ourselves. What am I saying? I'm saying I don't care what life reduces you to. I don't care if there's nothing in your hand but just a small portion. That small portion with God is enough to get you through. And when you think that you're down to nothing, you're really not down to nothing. You're down to something. You're down to a truth that with God, all things are possible. And though it may look impossible to me, if I will stay true to God and I will work for God and I will serve God, God will help me get through this place that I'm going through right now. I'm fixing to close. This is what I want to tell somebody. When you're in the dark, don't make life-changing decisions in the dark. When all of that started coming down on Job and the lights went out in his life, his children were gone, now his wife has turned against him, there's one thing that Job did not do. He did not make a life-changing decision in that dark. He kept worshiping, even though he didn't know where God was at. You know what? It's okay. You can still worship and not know where God's at. You can worship and not even know if he's listening to you. You say, Brother God, if I can't feel God, I'm not praying. Well, folks, you might have to go a long time sometimes without knowing God's there because God doesn't always speak, and he doesn't always make his presence known, but he's there. He's everywhere. He's here right now. We don't even recognize the fact that he's all around us right now because we're so consumed with our own problems. But whatever you're going through, when it's dark 
And when you can't see the next step, just keep doing what you did while you were in the light. Don't change your direction. Don't change your mind. Don't make a life-altering decision when you are in the dark. Wait, because light will come. It will come. And when life is dark, live by what you received when you were in the light. What God spoke to you back there when your mind was clear. What he spoke to you when you were at the altar. What you committed to him when you stood with your wife or your husband at the altar and made a commitment. Stay with that. Stick with the things that you made commitments to until light comes again. And you'll find out that when you get to the end of it, God's going to do more for you then than you could have even imagined in the beginning. And if you'll just do what you can with what you've got and play with what you've got, you'll find out that God will always get you through. Always. You just have to learn sometimes in life to play with what's left. Amen. It's not perfect, not ideal, not what I wanted. It's not how I scripted all this. I mean, my Lord, happily ever after, that was supposed to be what we were reaching for. But then you run into conflict and you feel the strain of life and financial pressures and bad decisions. And, and we all make them. We're not, there's none of us smarter than anybody else. I've seen some of the wisest people in the world make some of the dumbest moves. And I'm thinking, what were you thinking? And the truth is they weren't thinking. They just acted. They just did something out of their own impulse, their own flesh. And it happens to all of us. We're not, we're not batting a thousand. We're not doing everything right every day. But it doesn't matter. The point is when the string snaps and everybody's looking at you and wondering, well, are they going to throw the towel in too? Are they going to be like the rest of the world and join that great number of statistics about ruined lives and ruined this? Or are they going to do what they can with what they've got left? You know what I've learned? I've learned that you can have a happy home without having a perfect home. I've learned that you can have a happy life without having a perfect life. Bless God, I've learned that you can have a happy life and live a normal life. I think I'm normal. Am I? Am I not? Am I okay? Guess what? My parents weren't perfect. My parents whipped me. They drugged me. My parents drugged me. My mom and dad drugged me to church. Yeah. They drugged me to places I didn't want to go. I didn't get whippings. There were times I got beatings. <laughs> At least that's what I thought they were. But it didn't warp my personality. At least I don't think it did. It didn't warp my mind. It helped bring my wild spirit into, into check. But the point is... As good as my parents were, they weren't perfect. So I'm not going to go around saying, well, you know, they weren't good to me. They did this or that. I, there's a, and and I, please don't misunderstand me. There are some of you that have had horrible childhoods. I do not even want to go there. What happened to you is not right. It's not fair. But you're still here.
Now, you can go on repeating what's in your genes. You say, well, you know, my dad was, my mother was, I'm going to be, I'm, I am. My granddad was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. You know what? That may be true, but you, you can stop that generational curse on your family. You can stop that generational curve that goes down. You can turn the tide somewhere. You can rise up and say, I may only have one thing going for me right now, but I'm going to make the best out of what I've got going for me, and I'm not going to give up, and I'm not going to throw in the towel, and I'm not quitting. Come on, stand with me, everybody, and praise him together. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Down to nothing. But you've got something. That's God. That's all you need. Amen. Amen. But don't make life-changing decisions when you're in the dark. And don't quit living by what you learned in the light. Man, just go back, get that instrument and say, you know what, if I only have one string, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to figure out a way. Amen. I'm going to figure out a way. You know, sometimes we have to improvise in life. (laughs) Brother Bacon, you ever had to do that? Improvise. You got to come up with something. You got to make something out of it. And then there's some times that you just have to transpose. There was another violinist, they called him Old Bull. He too was in Paris. And he was there to do a concert, violinist of the same caliber of Pagnani. But on this occasion, when he went to tune his instrument, one of the strings broke. And in order for him to play that concerto in the, in the key that it had been written in, he needed all four strings. So what did he do? He transposed in his mind, in his spirit. He moved it to a different key. And with three strings, he played that same concerto with just a limited amount of things to help him. What does the Bible say about the clay in the potter's hand that when he was, he was shaping it, he saw that it was marred in the potter's hand. There was a flaw in it. He didn't take that clay and chunk it out the window and reach over and get another chunk of clay. The Bible says... He stopped the wheel. He took out the imperfection. He crushed it. And he made it over again. Another vessel. It can still play the same music, but it's in a different key now. That's what happens in life. Sometimes you just have to transpose. Sometimes when you've only got a limited degree of uh, of whatever, you just have to try to make a way. You, You sing it in a different key. You make it work in a different key. You make life work for you because that's what God intended for you to do. 
God knew when He put you here that life wasn't going to be perfect. And so He didn't make life perfect, but He did you. And you say, no, Brother Hughes, I'm not perfect. In your creation, God made you perfect. Because He made you like Him. You're made in His image. God is not imperfect. So that means that inside of me is everything I need to overcome every adversity and everything that the enemy would throw up against me. That inside of me, God put the ability to make a decision and the ability to say yes to the right thing and no to the wrong thing and make my way out of that and make my way into His perfect will for my life. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Why don't you pick up your instrument and start playing it again? Why don't you give your life one more time into the hands of the Master and say, God, I'm going to do the best I can with what I've got. Oh, come on, praise Him, praise Him. enough to say, you know what, I'm dealing with some broken things in my life right now, and they're so broken I can't put them back together, but I'm going to do what I can with what I've got left. I wonder if you'd be willing to just step out and meet me here at the altar. Say, I'm dealing with some broken stuff, maybe broken finances, broken dreams, broken home, broken hopes. Lord. Oh, 